Comic Book Club News gives you the comic book news you need to know first thing in the morning every weekday in the form of digestible three to five minute long podcasts. Comic Book Club News recaps breaking news stories from Marvel, DC Comics, and beyond Monday through Friday. New episodes drop 6 a.m. ET in the Comic Book Club News feed so they're ready for you when you're ready for the day. Comic Book Club News. You hear it second or third, possibly fourth. What's up, everybody? Welcome to The Stack. I'm Alex. I'm Justin. I'm Pete. And on The Stack, we talk about a bunch of books that have come out this week, starting with Dark Crisis, The Dark Army, number one from DC Comics. The Dark Army. The Dark, sadly, not Guitar Army. I keep thinking that every time I see the title, and it's not that. It's just The Dark Army. Written by Mark Wade, Delilah S. Dawson, Dennis Culver, art by Freddie Williams II and Jack Herbert. This is another one of those titles that is fleshing out a bunch of stuff that's going on in Dark Crisis, but is still kind of an important read at the same time as Damian Wayne goes on a separate mission to stop the Dark Army from destroying the entire multiverse. We've been a little back and forth about the Dark Crisis books, but what do you think about this one? Ah, I thought it was so fun. Polite. I thought uh, so polite. I, I I thought it was just I, kind of a Thanksgiving fun art style. You know, uh, it was kind of a, a cooler take on the DC art style. So I, I feel like this is a huge epic setup for the battle to save time and space. Uh, fun. It was, uh, you know, I, I like the murder rabbit line. I thought they were kind of having fun with it uh, as they went. So, yeah, I felt like it was a, a cool event. Um, yeah, I agree. Th- this reminded me, I, you mentioned the art style. It took me back to some classic DC, like Elseworlds era, the yep. Elseworlds annuals mm-hmm, um, yeah. stuff. So I really like that. And uh, this this issue in particular, I thought felt like it had sort of that blockbuster feel to it. Um, mm-hmm. A lot of it was in the panel composition and the way that everything was drawn, but it feels big. And I'm not a huge um, Justice League incarnate fan. The um, giant bunny guy presses on the edge of my reality of enjoyment. Captain Carrot? Uh, yeah. He's not, I, I don't know. I'm just like, it's too. It's like having Bugs Bunny show up, and I'm like, "Hey, I take this stuff seriously, Rabbit Man." Oh wow! So um, maybe that's a pet peeve of mine is that the rabbit's too far. Um, but I, I still, I thought this issue was great, and I like um, the, like I said, the bigness. I agree with you on the bigness of this, but I also think it's predicated on the smallness. This is something we've talked about with Dark Crisis a lot, that we're losing a little bit of the emotional thread there and focusing in on Damian Wayne and what's going on with him and what he's feeling gives it a really good hook throughout the book. Um, I really like this. I have been very hesitant about some of the Dark Crisis stuff. I, there's been stuff I liked, stuff I have not liked as much. But the one shots have been particularly good. This one, the Justice League Dark one as yeah. well, was very good. So I enjoyed this. I think even if you've been a little iffy about the event, I would still say pick this up. Well, and it's really interesting to me. This felt the most like a crossover, even though it's this uh, this one shot. And I was like, it's very counterintuitive, but it, I mean, chalk it up to the writing. You know, Mark Wade, uh, I feel like he is um, the pound for pound, just like 
bangers all. Like he knows how to hit them, and he he brings it here. Yeah, pound for pound. Next so pound for pound, he's the best writer you're going to see out there. Oh, hey Pete, if you could speak more in sound bites, we'd appreciate it. All right. <laughs> pound pound. And just to be clear, if pound. every comic book writer could weigh themselves and let us know how many pounds they weigh, what? so we could Dude, let know that's horrible. pound for pound. How much? Well, that's what that means, right? Round. At ground, at, at ground round, you pay what you weigh. So it's important to know pound for pound. <laughs> there you go. I don't know. That was how it was when I was a kid. I don't know if that extends I into hope adulthood. it's still not probably, a thing, yeah. Probably not. Dr. Yeah. Strange. $400, <laughs> sir. <laughs> Dr. Strange, Fall Sunrise, number one from Marvel by Trad Moore. I knew Pete was going to love yeah. this. And that's not to say that I don't love this, but this is a balls tripping out Doctor Strange story of the classic Jack balls Kirby tripping. balls tripping Mode. it's tripping balls you fucking narc no I'm specifically saying it's a balls tripping thing because I'm tripping balls so hard that I'm saying balls tripping you know what I'm talking about <laughs> oh my god anyway oh my god. this is Tradmore doing his Tradmore thing which is absolutely wild art on Doctor Strange I gotta be honest with you, I have 100% no idea what the story is here, other than Doctor Strange is doing a bunch of weird stuff, but I could not stop looking at this. That's that Tradmore art, just bringing the the heat. It's melty. I love some nice, melty, trippy art, like we're saying. And um, Doctor Strange has a look we don't usually see him with, sort of a Prince Valiant from the old Sunday Strips vibe here. uh, I really like we get the small moments, we get sort of the wider uh, big panel stuff. This Doctor Strange is one of the few characters in the Marvel Universe that I think gets to go off and have yeah, like, this, psychedelic this, adventures. Yeah. yeah, this fits perfectly. Marvel killed it on this. This was such a great aligning of stars here. Uh, also, Heather Moore on this. Let's not, you know, yes. uh, cut out more. We, uh, you know, we want more we is want- more. Yeah, exactly. We want more, more on this, and uh, uh, more, uh, please, because this is just unbelievable. Kind of uh, a great use of a kind of weird character already, but putting them in this kind of unbelievable artistic styling. It's almost like a yellow submarine, but more tripped out. If you can imagine that, I just, uh, I was just so impressed. The art, it, it, it brings it to such a cool level that it, it's a must pick up for me. You've got to pick it up. It's worth it for the art alone. Come on. Uh, uh, come on. Uh, Pete, um, you were on me for saying pound for pound, and you're going to throw out more, please? Yeah, that's right. That's right. <laughs> Sir, you've crossed a line. And only our second book. Yeah. You've sold out. You've sold out. Yeah. But, I, you know, as far as what's going on here, like, this is such a cool kind of way to explore it. I think that they they set things up in such a nice way. The tone of this, the pacing of it, it's all art-led, and it's just so beautiful. It's it's. it's very I, I want to just give a quick shout-out, because I think you guys are spot-on with the Prince Valiant, and what was the one that you said just now, Pete, that I've Yel- already... Yellow Submarine? Yellow Submarine. Yeah. That's 100% spot-on as well. I'll also throw out, like renaissance tapestries or sorry medieval tapestries it kind of looks like that oh, a little yeah. bit as well with people i know like, i was just reading a bunch of medieval yeah but you know, i was just looking at my medieval tapestries yeah, well, i'm in my castle right now is where i'm recording this so i was oh, walking, wow, walking the nice. halls at noontime and i saw the you know i just people carry you in a fucking castle <laughs> 
<laughs> My legs you. are withered. So I'm a duke. <laughs> yeah. Jesus Christ. Anyway, this is great. I just yeah, pulled the good. shroud. I pulled the shroud of Turin up to my neck and went to bed uh, before uh, reading my medieval tapestries. Real quick, though, let's get the answer to the question that people want to hear. What's your favorite seasonal sunrise? Is it a fall sunrise, or are you more question. of a uh, oh, summer? No. Uh, a, uh, a fall sunrise, the, all the colors, and then if you get the leaves in there too, come on, man! I'm I, I want to throw out. I was a big fan. Of, I was a big fan of Better Call Saul. A Saul sunrise. <laughs> what do we move on to talk about Once Upon a Time at the End of the World, number one from Boom Studios, written by Jason Aaron, art by Alexander Tfingi and Nick Dragoda. This is a romance book set, uh, as you could probably figure out from the title, at the end of the world, following a woman who is navigating the polluted acid sea, ends up in a apartment building. Swamper meets a boy there who has been insulated against everything that's going on in the world. We get a bunch of teases for what's going on. Throw this out at you up front. Uh, I don't think this is exactly what it is, but I really like Jason Aaron's The Goddamned, which was this very Mm. dark negative take of like, well, let's see what happens at the beginning of the world is take on Bible stories. This almost feels like the yeah. opposite book end of it, like versus a dark take of the beginning of the world. This is a dark take of the end of the world. And I'm really fascinated to see where this goes. Uh, yeah, I also really enjoyed this. It's got this great lighthearted tone and sort of like it's like it's leading with the romance in a way that I think um, which I always love uh, relationship first Dude, as the, ta- love as the, the tattoo I'm getting on my uh, around my bicep um, but the um, the real surprise here was the the last like four pages um, the story mm-hmm. this isn't a big spoiler when I say that the story flashes flash forwards um, to a later time and this really caught me is like this high stakes like bad situation where we're seeing the like maybe final moments of these characters at the same time we're first meeting them and seeing them maybe fall in love. I love that to cover both at the same time. Great issue. Yeah. I felt like this, uh, this was, this was really fun story, but it was also a little sad. Um, yeah, Yeah. you know, um, but, uh, such a kind of, I loved the rooms in the tower, like uh, just really cool to explore and to kind of see the different rooms and what you would do with it, especially what a kid would do. Uh, the yeah. pillow room was hysterical. There's just a lot of cool uh, stuff going on here. And uh, yeah, the the, the art is, is, is leading the way in, in such well, a nice you have every Pete, uh, every... Every new, every new relationship is a little sad because it involves a breakup from what came before. Mm. Okay. Wow. You know, it's like Like, especially your first relationship. I've said this first. Every love story is a ghost story. What you said that first? I said said that first. Yeah. Yeah. Not David Foster Wallace. No, I thought you said every love story is like ghost. You got to do some weird pottery stuff. The movie. The movie ghost. Yeah. 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 Uh, I love pottery. Nope, that's not it. That's what. (laughs) 
What? I mess that up all what the time. I just wanted to say real quick Wait, about the art. What, you got it, <laughs> nope, let's blast past that. You got Alexander. Was that the Righteous Brothers underwater? Alexander Defendi's got this very manga-inspired art throughout that is very fun and light. At the end, you got Nick Dragota, who excels in doing these very exaggerated grotesques in terms of his characters, and the contrast between the two of them is. Awesome. So beyond the fact that we love Jason Aaron's writing, I think here on the show, having these two artists on here really elevates the project so high. This is really a can't miss. I'm very excited to see where this goes. Why don't we move on to another one? Vanish number three from Image Comics, written by Donnie Cates, art by Ryan Stegman. This is continuing to follow the adventure of this young Harry Potter-esque character who has discovered all the evil folks that he fought in his youth are still alive and are now superheroes. He's fighting a bunch of them in this issue. Um, You know, I, I think one of my big criticisms of the second issue was it was moving too slowly. This amps up the pace incredibly, I thought. Yeah. Uh, this had one of, like, a fight sequence that was uh, really the, the, our main guy here went from losing to winning in a very violent fashion in a really, I just thought it was a really well-paced turnabout that I did not uh, see coming. This is a very aggressive um, version of a magic uh, superhero story. Yeah, I, I really thought it was gruesome and cool. Uh, great action, love the yeah. fighting, a lot of blood and guts. Uh, it was it was pretty neat. <laughs> pretty neat, blood and guts. Pretty neat. Yep. Next up, Action Comics 1049 from DC Comics, written by Philip Kennedy Johnson, art by Mike Perkins and David Lapham. In this issue, in the first half, we are getting a story following up in the whole War World saga as Superman mm-hmm. protects his new adopted kids at the zoo as they are under attack by the new gods Mm. and apocalypse among others. And then at the same time, Lex Luthor is manipulating Metallo in the background. And then we've got a backup story. That's also dealing with some fallout for the war world saga. What'd you guys think about this? Well, a couple things. Uh, First, you know, this felt, this was a great issue. Um, uh, you know, I felt like the having Lex Luthor be an asshole, and I feel like that's really going to blow up in his face with uh, treating Metallo so poorly. Uh, but um, I, there was a real, real weird moment for me where I thought the Superman was branding people with his laser vision, but he was mm. just creating cool outfits, which I didn't know was a thing that he could do. Um, I didn't know he could make laser clothes for people, but it turns out he can. So pretty neat. But I'm just I felt kind of bad for those people where it was like, I guess we have to wear these forever because Superman made it. And if he ever shows up and we're not wearing it, I guess we all feel bad. Well, like all gifts, you only have to wear when you see Superman. Yeah, but he you know, you, shows up you so quickly, a, you can't does, you get yeah. caught. Uh, you know, I mean, you got to be ready. So, well, like, Pete, kind of I made all, you that hoodie, wear. and that's why you never stop wearing it, right? Yeah, that's I right. always be hoodieing, is, is what I say. <laughs> that's really nice. Because well, whenever he's not around you, Alex, he's completely nude. Uh, not nope, a lot of people man. know Pete's uh, pivot toward um, nudity. <laughs> <laughs> I, I I want to throw something out at you guys, and this is going to sound negative. Nobody else thought that was weird. 
No, but also I that do, was honestly weird. do not remember what you're talking about at all. I'll have to go back and read the issue because I really don't. remember. You don't remember it. when he laser closed people? No, I don't remember that. That I'm didn't sorry. stick out to you at all. Okay. Well, the reason it didn't stick out to me, the thing that I want to talk about is reading this issue, loving Philip Kennedy Johnson's run. I love the fact that he's not letting oh, the yeah. war world stuff go. He's following the ramifications he of it. Killed it. How is this rolling so out great. with Superman with the whole world? If everything that's great, but. The main thing I was thinking with the thrust of most of this story is I don't know why Mike Perkins is on this because I don't know if he's the right fit for Superman. But then really just because like he has this very like dark, gritty, down to earth art, which doesn't necessarily fit the story to me in in the same way. But then when you get to the Metallo Lex Luthor stuff, it. Oh, yeah. Rules like this is 100 uh, Metallo to me has honestly always been kind of a silly villain where it's like, oh, he has a kryptonite heart and he's a robot and I don't exactly understand what's going on with him. But it, it seems a little silly. The way that Philip Kennedy Johnson is writing him, first of all, is this tragic figure who just wants yeah, to be left alone great. and Lex Luthor is manipulating him to fight Superman. But also the way that Mike Perkins is drawing him as this terrifying Terminator-esque robot is awesome. So that part of the book, I was like, okay, that's why you have Mike Perkins on this, is for the Metallo stuff. Even with the rest of the stuff, I like the story, but it's an odd fit, I would say. Well, I I don't mind it because I think all this War War World stuff has given Superman a little bit of a harder edge. He's like this uh, messianic figure who has liberated this planet. The laser closed thing that is really um, getting Pete's goat is um, he's breaking their chains and he's freeing them. He keeps going back to uh, go go deal with more of this war world stuff. Um, but to your point, Alex, about the Metallo, I love Philip Kenny Johnson, the way he started Metallo as this like, I don't do that anymore. I'm just trying to do my time and get out of here. And Lex Luthor just turns the screws over the course of like these last like three issues. Finally, um, springing the trap here. It's so good. It's so tense. Uh, it's great. And I, uh, the nickname Unblooded Sword, let's go. Put it on the, put, mm-hmm. we need to put a U in front of that S on his yeah. shirt. <laughs> us. US. That stands for us. Stands for us. USA. Exactly. Why don't we talk about two Star Wars issues that came out this week? We got Star Wars Yoda, number one from Marvel, written by Kevin Scott, art by Nico Leon. And we've also got Star Wars Revelations, number one from Marvel, written by Mark Guggenheim, art by Salvador Maraca. And Guru EFX, Per Perez and Dono Sanchez Amara, Emma Kubert, Wayne Foucher, and Paul Fry. Now, the first story starts at a different place in Yoda's continuity, but flashes back in time, I, I think around the Clone Wars, Wars or something like that. Maybe it's High Republic. And Star Wars Revelations, meanwhile, is actually not even following up on, but taking place before, I believe it was called Star Wars Hidden Empire that we talked about last week, where it's focusing on Darth Vader and how it leads up to this war with Kira, among other things. It's a very classic, like, here's what's going to be going on in the Star Wars universe over the next year or so preview type issue. So two very different issues, two very different focuses. One is just Yoda going on an adventure. The other is, here's everything that we're doing. What do you think about these two things and the direction of the Star Wars universe at Marvel right now? Uh, 
that's that's a lot, but uh, I just feel like uh, I'm excited about the, what's happening right now. I mean, you you have uh, you know Charles Soule killing it uh, with the Vader stuff, and uh, it's been for me just like reinvigorating my love of Star Wars in the comic book world uh, that hasn't been in a while, like. There's a lot of great Dark Horse stuff, but I really love the teams that they're putting together on Marvel. I've been really appreciating uh, the stories that they're exploring. I think they're doing a great job, and uh, it's been something I look forward to in my poll list every week. Uh, I we we talked about this with the other the other books um, where it feels like they're just slicing up and slicing off more and more pieces of this Star Wars universe, getting into very esoteric. Uh, Jedi sex and um, in this uh, sects, not sex. Like just to be no, clear. I yeah, Jedi don't I'm have yeah. sex, but they do have sects. Yes, oh exactly. And you don't want to mess that up when you're talking to a Jedi. I'll tell you yeah. that. Much. Do you want to have uh, sex? Yeah, I right. would say to a Jedi, <laughs> they'd be like, <laughs> yeah. Let's have let's have sexual relationship with um, all this group of people as we split yeah. off and worship the force. Um, but what I'm saying is, uh, the stories I like, like I, I think this this Yoda story is what I'm more interested in because it's exploring a character we didn't really we don't know too much about. We don't know where um, what his deal is, what he came from, what he did on the for all those 800 years. We haven't seen 799 of those years. That's a lot of that's a lot of tapestry. They've been exploring this stuff in the animated stuff. Yeah, no, but I'm not saying they're not. But I'm saying like I'm more interested in going deeper Mm -hmm. with that. But this uh, the other book, and it's no knock on the the writing or the art of these books. I think they're great. But like slicing an increasingly thin little slice of Vader off, I'm just like we've seen so much. Um, So. that to me is a little bit less uh, my taste right now. Okay, all right. Well, first off, the Yoda issue was tight. I mean, this was really great. But it was, I, I lo- thought it was bananas. I would what? say just based on Yoda, it was uh, green bananas. Okay, great. I felt like this was a really fun first ish. You know what I mean? Like they gave you uh, the Yoda, the Yoda you love and know, and then Dagobah. Yeah, and they the gave Yoda you a you little love bit and know. of. Right. Uh, they gave you a little bit of the. It's me. Oh my god. Yoda, Yoda you love it, no? Hey, Yoda walking into a party where he like. <laughs> got him! Got him! Got Alex! Take. It's good to he's vomiting do, off, do off do my. Raise your hands, dude! You got to do this. You got to raise your hands. Raise your hands. Yeah. There <laughs> That's Yoda walking into a party where he doesn't know anybody. <laughs> hey, Yoda, you love it now. Uh, but oh, that was disgusting. It gives it you some. It gets. Imagine you. being us seeing you. Yeah, that was I'm really so gross. Sorry. Yeah, it's all right. Uh, uh, I can't. I hope you didn't puke on anything important over there. But yep. I just also think it's cool what's happening with Yoda. Uh, this kind of setup of him camping out in this new place where people are because he's normally hanging out in a very isolated swampland so this is a very different setting and it's getting me excited to see a different side of yoda social yoda yeah exactly yeah yoda's like on tiktok it was yeah it's like hey if you're tired of twitter check out social yoda Mm -hmm. (laughs) 
I'll just throw out there, <laughs> separate from sense. the vomiting all over the place, the Star Wars Revelations book, just to give, take an opposite take, I thought it was a good story in the Star Wars Yoda book, the Star Wars Revelation book. You're talking about the uh, Goog story now? The Goog story. The Googs? I'm not a big fan of these things where, like, here's everything that we're going to see. It felt like those last pages of books were, like, coming up this year on Star Wars, but over the length of an entire yeah. book. But I, I think it was the Salvador LaRocca art and the Ever Kubert art and the Per Perez art and everything else where I was like, oh, this... This, to me, feels like when they first launched the Star Wars books with Jason Aaron, and it was just this badass Darth Vader book. I think it was Jason Aaron and Salvador La Rocca, if I remember correctly. So it was giving me pleasant vibes of yes. that. But that's they nice. introduce a character that's this droid who's leading its own droid yeah. revolution. That's interesting. That's something... The droid illusion. Exactly. That's something that I haven't necessarily seen in Star Wars, so... I don't know. I'm excited to follow that, I think. Yeah, Sorry. I agreed. I, I really thought this kind of droid philosophy that they were kind of bringing up here that, uh, you know, there are all these people who are fighting for other things. Why not have the droids be a part of it, too? So very cool. I mean, they do treat their droids like a part of the cast already. So why not have a droid revolution or a droid illusion. So I'm all in, droid, man. Droid think, yeah. Speaking of that, you, since you guys linked up your Fitbits, they're, they're talking to each other um, on their own. Oh, and you better watch out. Uh, that's they're going to rise up. pretty messed up. Why don't we talk about the Vampire Slayer number eight from Boob Studios, written by Sarah Galley, art by Claudia Balboni. In this issue, Buffy is missing. She is kind of no longer the Slayer, but she's been taken by a giant spider monster. And in this issue, the rest of her friends start to come around to realizing that, oops, maybe she's gone. I love the series. I think it's funny. It has the right level of sort of Buffy horror going on. The stuff that they're getting towards with whatever the mystery is of how Buffy has lost her Slayer powers is really interesting. And this is just, as a Buffy the Vampire Slayer fan, crushing it at every issue. This one in particular, I thought, was... Very funny, and I loved getting to the idea of whatever is going on with Buffy because we've been dancing around it for the previous seven issues here and really starting to dig into whatever happened without providing necessary answers. Um, this is great. Well, I'm, I'm glad you're enjoying yourself. I feel Thanks. like uh, I like the uh, the art uh, on here. I thought it was very interesting. Uh, right level of creepy uh, for the spider story here that we got. Um, that's it. <laughs> oh, wow. Oh. Okay. Uh, the uh, I I agree with you, Alex. I think this this uh, this story is fun. It really um, they sort of set the stage with like Buffy's not the Slayer Willow is and it was like such a har harsh turn away and they sort of sort of let the ripples of that um, go where they may and I really like sort of the shakeup and that we've really been able to move the story forward with just this new uh, new relationships between everybody and th the Buffy is uh, in a spider um, web uh, not a not a great spot. Yeah, she's dancing. I, I just think the the character relationships yeah. are really working for me. Having Spike and Xander be friends and hanging out and playing video games the, all the time, uh, they're very different, but it's fun. Having yeah. then again like Spike and Faith on the side heckling everybody while everything's going on is fun. 
I just think it's an alley the character voices. It's making me very happy to see. Next up, 8 Billion Genies, number six from Image Comics, written by Charles Soule, art by Ryan Brown. We are jumping, I believe, eight years ahead with whatever has been mm-hmm. going on as we have this genie-afflicted world. We're catching up with a bunch of the characters over the course of this time period. This is this is, series is great. I, I The thing that's really impressing me is it's taking this wild concept, but really following it in a logical fashion that still grounds it emotionally in the characters. And that is nearly impossible to do, but I think they're yeah. absolutely crushing it here. Go ahead, Pete. Is it, is it too logical though? Because it's like, it's moving Whoa. the needle like each time, just like a little bit where I feel like I, I love this book. I think the art is great. I love this whole idea. It's such a creative, cool idea, amazing setup, but I kind of also want to get to it. Like, what are we getting to? What has this whole thing been to? Like, I want a little peek more about what's to come. And uh, I just feel like, you know, I didn't need the band practice as much. You know what I mean? Like I wanted, I want to know what's, uh, what's well, going, it's going what's multiples of eight each time. Right. I, I don't remember the first right. couple, but I yeah. think it was like eight seconds, eight minutes, eight hours, eight days, eight months. Now we're going to eight years. And the next one, I believe, is 80 years, if I remember correctly from the end of the issue. So it's going to not just get to it. your math is right. If my mouth is right. And they're going to go beyond it at this point. So, Pete, you're going to see past all these characters to what happens. Great. Um, I guess I should just shut up and patiently wait. (laughs) (laughs) Is that in general note? Just like, uh, nice, great. Um, The, uh, and I think this is a very specific compliment I'm about to give, but the pacing is like unbelievable in this comic. Like you just said, to be able to modulate from an eight second story to an eight year story in an issue and tell all the pieces you want to tell over that course of time requires like the incredible galaxy brain thinking of just like um, able to not only conceive of this whole story, but really put it in all the right places. Um, I like that we're getting bigger and bigger. There's like these enclaves that are now attacking each other. This isn't driving you guys nuts yet that we're like so deep in this. So we don't know where the genies came from, what the genies agenda is like, uh, you know what I mean? Like you guys, I love it. Yeah. They want to give wishes and they came from genie world. No, nah, dude, there's an evil fucking plan. Uh, no, that's no, no, no. I'll tell you all. where this is going to no. end. Here's my prediction. This is going to end with one person surviving. They are going to end up being the genie that is going to take this to the new universe. They've already told us this. Yep. It's going to reset wait, back wait, to wait. the beginning. You think so? There's just 100%. The whole idea of this is they're trying to get the human population down to one person, and then they're going to let that one person go to genie land? That's what you're saying? That one person is going to be like, I wish everything would reset or something like that, and it will, and then they'll go back to zero. The thing is, Pete's never going to be happy because he was wronged by that genie. He's uh, he's got a genie chip on his shoulder, Um, so he's always going to be pissed. Yeah, Genies in this book, genies are like cell phones. They are help you out. You Google stuff with them. And just like real cell phones, you get to make one wish. 
when it comes true. <laughs> I do want to throw out to Ryan Brown's art in particular on the genies, oh, which yeah. is so delightful every single time. The character designs are great. Let's talk about The Amazing Spider-Man number 14 from Marvel, written by Zeb Wells, art by Michael Dowling, Kyle Hotz, Terry Dodson, and Ryan Stegman. If you like Seasons... With Doctor Strange. Oh, man. You're going to love it here as we follow four seasons of Ben Riley, who is now called Chasm, an evil Spider-Man with, like, some very scraggly stuff happening around his head. He is teaming up with the Goblin Queen and starting a dark web to take down Spider-Man and ultimately the X-Men, it seems, as well. This new crossover. This is without uh, tanking it for Pete, who I know hates this stuff, but essentially a zero issue, but happily, happily in the main Amazing Spider-Man issue uh, series at the same time. Yeah. Um, I am very hesitant about this event, but I think. Really? Yeah, just the idea of turning Ben Riley evil and once again focusing on the Goblin Queen and being like, I'm a clone, you're a clone, let's team up and destroy people. Clones! What do you think? Clones! Oh, clones! Clone it's life. a, it's a clone very life. obvious idea, but at the same time, I'm, I'm not 100% on board. But Zeb Wells, good writer, art, good. Yep. I'll read it. Well, and that's what I like about it. It's taking like a lot of loose threads from around the old Marvel Universe and being like, Clones, clones love hanging out with other clones because they get each other, you know? So they have, like, similar issues that perhaps they deal with, like the other, the person they're cloned from. What's their deal? So uh, I think that's a fun connect. The way that this book goes from, like, the Spider-Man status quo of Ben Riley and his partner, and then by the end of it, so much has happened, threaded through all of these different other universes, from the X-Men stuff to some Limbo stuff to uh, magic, everything happening, a lot of changes. Um, I'm on board with it, even if you're hesitant. And I know Pete's with me because he loves both all things Spider-Man and all things X-Men. Let's go move on. No Pete necessary. <laughs> well, I do think I I do think that I don't think clones would like hanging out with each other. I think they would avoid really? each other. Yeah. Have you seen you a know, little movie called The Sixth Day? Starring mm, Arnold Schwarzenegger. Yeah. There were a bunch of clones yeah. that liked to hang out how with each other. Also, um, more multiplicity. Yeah, I thought you were going to go with multiplicity. Um, yep. Six day. Yeah, but that also they you know you, they started to. Anyways, all the cloning aside, uh, yeah, I just feel like um, there you know the let's burn it to the ground, Ben. You know, I did think the drippy art on the creepy kind of dark web stuff was fun and a nice kind of break up from the story and what was going on. And then we kind of had the Hollow's Eve with the fun classic Dotson's art. So uh, you know, great. And if you're into the dark web, maybe you'll enjoy this book. Oh, really? Interesting take. If you like some real, like, wonky, creepy subreddits, you're saying? Yeah, yeah exactly. Pete, Pete does some fucked up shit on the dark web. Let's not delve into that too much and instead move on to <laughs> yep. talk about... No time for a Pete. Move on. A related topic to Pete's activities on the dark web, The Human Target, number nine from DC Comics, written by Tom King, art by Greg Smallwood in this issue and spoilers beyond this point. The human target is hanging out with Ice. He believes that Batman is on his tail. It's not revealed until the end of the issue, but it's pretty clear that's what he thinks is going on. 
turns out Batman is not on his tail, and that leads to a big revelation about what has been going on in this series. Another perfect issue of The Human Target, I'll say. It's exactly what I was going to say. This comic is perfect. It's so good. The art is so, like, just lovely. And, you know, we as the first, like, you know, four or five issues, there's this sort of detective vibe between Human Target and Ice. And now their relationship is slowly deepening into, like, a love. This is a love story in a way that it feels so real, the way they treat each other, the way they sort of move in and out of being open with each other. Man, I if you're not reading this, like, what more can we do for you? Do you need, like, blood from my body? Do you need, uh, I don't know, what else? I'll come over and I'll make a Thanksgiving turkey while you watch, while you read The Human Target. Well, I I agree with the the what you're talking about the art. This is STB, you know, super type bananas art. I mean, this yeah. is just some quality stuff here. No, nope. but keep, keep, you keep pushing it, you keep pushing it, and one of these days you're going to go too far. Now you got an acronym. You drop yeah. an STB. Yeah, STB. You down uh, with STB? That sounds yeah, very close me. to so STD. I'm just saying. Well, that's why I didn't yes. pronounce that B. You know, it's very infectious. That pronounce that B. No, that's why I say you got to pronounce that B. Oh. Yeah. You got to pronounce that B. You got to hit that B hard. Anyways, uh, my point being, this was a stressful-ish. You know what I mean? Like, he didn't know what's going on, so I'm sure as shit not going to know what's going on. And, <laughs> like, him always looking over his shoulder and thinking Batman was there was stressing me the fuck out. Uh, but the ice house in the middle of the desert was a beautiful, cool idea. But she's sleeping on that bed like it's a real bed, and that's fucking ice, man. That is not comfortable, nor would I lay on that because she things are going to get stuck on there, and you might not very be much the wow. Vision series wow. that Tom King did vibes with that ice house. I felt like also just great Batman story that had zero Batman in it. And you can't say that yeah. then. That's wild. It doesn't no, make it, sense. It absolutely was. It was great. Yeah. Such a hard so disagree. I, I consider my life a Batman story, and he's barely in it. <laughs> I would say he has yet to show up. Now, what's I'm saying, but the still. furthest place so, from Batman? A Batman what's the furthest place mm. from here? Number eight from Image Comics, written by Matthew Rosenberg, art by Ricardo Lopez Ortiz and Tyler Boss. This is jumping back in time and showing us a little bit of an origin story about our. I don't know, survivor kids or whatever you want to call them, whatever it is, that's a spoiler. I probably should have put a spoiler warning because it's not really revealed until the end. But we find out a lot of things about this world and how it works in this issue. Another great issue of this very weird book. Yeah. Yeah. This is a book that's really slowly opening the door to a very weird, weird world through um, the uh, unreliable narrators, I would say. Like, these people aren't open, aren't giving us information. They are just going about their lives, doing a bunch of sort of Lord of the Flies-esque fucked up stuff, and we slowly see them uh, be cruel to each other and occasionally bond as families. I also like we're sort of finding out more and more about 
the people that formed this world, I guess, is a way of saying it, or at least shepherded it into existence. So definitely looking forward to that maybe in the next issue. This is hard because I love this book. This is just such a creative, unique book, and I look forward to it every week. But this issue really freaked me the fuck out, like the all the kind of weird, uh, you know, uh, Lord of the Flies shit and this really freaked me the uh, fuck out but man it, it's so creative and so unique and such a cool art style that is very unique to the story that I really appreciate and think it's pretty impressive all Out Avengers, number three from Marvel, written by Derek Landy, art by Greg Land. This issue, the Avengers are teaming up with and fighting the Red Skull while in the background somebody is manipulating them. I said this about previous issues. I'm a Greg Land art apologist. I really enjoy him on big books. Mm. But I also think I appreciate the fact that they're really getting to it with this issue, that they're not dragging it on in terms of the Avengers being kind of dumb about, like, what's happening to us? This issue, they're straight up about, like, eh, somebody's manipulating us. We don't know what's going on yet, but we got to yeah. figure it out because they're sending us towards something and it's clearly bad. That's a great move. I uh, I really like this series so far a lot more than I thought I would. Yeah. Yeah. You go. Yeah. I just feel like this is a fun, uh, kind of, uh, Avengers action forward kind of event. Uh, the seeing the Black Panther stuff was emotional, but, uh, great. The art is fun. The all the fighting, all the red skulls is a ton of fun. So this is great. This is cool. This is building towards something. I'm on board. I'm having a good time with it. Um, yeah, I mean, Landy and Land together again. Yeah, um, I agree with you, Alex. Greg Land's art, there's something comfortable about it. Maybe because Greg Land has done just so much comics art. I feel like, I don't know, uh, the pace at which he works seems to be big uh, and fast uh, because we get to get so much of it. Um, and an, an artist that, that gets criticized a lot but still works um, a ton. Um, and then for the story, like, this is like just big Avengers teamwork it reminds me of like classic justice league classic avenger stories where it's yep. just a team operating on all fronts um and i like the twist sort of at the end being like someone's manipulating us but maybe for good maybe we're <laughs> learning something uh which i thought was a fun take uh from uh from iron man DC versus Vampires, number 11 from DC Comics written by James Tyler the fourth and matt rosenberg art by otto schmidt with Francesco Mortaring and Paraluigi Casaloni, Casaloni, Casalini, Casalino. I really mm. messed that up. Great. Sounds Italian. Yep. There you go. Anyway, and this is, I think, the second to last issue of this because they're really ramping up here as our various factions are fighting against the vampire army who has taken over the world. I know you guys have been big fans of this. So how'd you feel about this issue? Well, first off, the next issue is to be concluded. Yeah. I'm not ready to let this go. I'm not go. ready. I'm not ready either. Um, and it's been a bunch. It's It's been 11 issues. And I'm it's not been ready. Up, but it's been like 11 issues. Yeah. So, I mean, kudos to be. We're, we got a good chunk of great stuff and we still want more. That's very impressive. 
Uh-huh. I would say um, super tight kudos. STK. <laughs> um, is what I would say. I'm right. good. So I yeah, could take the- like one more issue and that's pretty much it. But you guys go ahead. Wow. Wow. Um, but the art on this book is fantastic. Um, yeah. I like the, the way bananas. It's toit. The way that uh, the f- different factions are fun. The team ups are fun. There's uh, great jokes throughout. While at the same time putting our uh, heroes in increasingly horrible situations, you got Space Wolverine showing up here who, like, some people like Stop. and some people don't. And that's all I'll say about don't that. No time. No time. Space Wolverine. No time for Pete. Let's move on. No, this. This is really fun and over the top. The twists, the back and forths. It's really, really impressive what they're doing here. It's just so rewarding for comic book fans to have this kind of like little bubble where all this madness can happen and feel real and intense. I think it's such a smart, great choice. I feel like this is the ish of the week. This is just... Ish. Really, really fun, and uh, you know, I, I don't know what more you want out of a comic. This is just a blast. Hitomi, number two from Image Comics, written by H.S. Tack, art by Isabella Mazzanti. And this issue, we're following the continuing adventures of this girl who has vowed vengeance on the man who killed her family, who has, as you do unknowingly teamed up with the bad who killed your family and is now training with him. That's not really dealt with at this issue, but we do get a bunch of training montages. Pete, I know you're very high on this one. What did you think? Yes, I am high on comics. No, I just think that this is just no such doubt. a beautiful. Give me another Hitomi of Hitomi. <laughs> oh boy. Wow. That just seeing you light up with that idea was he just had, made me uh, want to puke in my mouth a little bit. Let's remember but, he's boss tripping. <laughs> uh, but yeah, just, I mean, this is just absolutely gorgeous. Our beautiful style that is executed here. I just love it. Also, what's nice is you, there's no reminders of this shit. Like you have to know, like, uh, Oh, right. This is the guy that so just like it's just such a nice layering and doesn't treat its audience like they have to remind you every two seconds of this. Like, I just thought it was just so well done, so well executed, such a beautiful book and such a cool story. It's like a lone wolf and cub with uh, just some craziness of uh, different uh, genre style. I'm having a blast. I love it. Um, it's very fun to have a character who is swears revenge and then is sort of very bad at yep. executing on that. Um, and I like that, that as a, uh, an operating premise for this book. Art's great. Uh, I agree with Pete. More time for Pete. Well, I also just think that like there's, you know, in books like this where you have like a Ronin samurai walking the earth, solving problems, learn, you know, like doing stuff like mm-hmm. that. It was such a cool great take on this little person who's such a hothead who I very much relate to and is Mm. also short. So I can relate to that as well, but like, you know, not letting someone disrespect them or kind of like, but just the walking away and the power of it. And like, it was just so well done in in a comic book. And I felt like uh, it was just, just really cool. You don't see it a lot. We should say, since we haven't done a live show in a while, and people mostly know us through our voices or our um, uh, crowdcast and Zoom appearances, um, 
Pete is only five uh, foot two inches tall, and uh, <laughs> I am naturally six three. And Alex, I don't know. I've never seen him in person. I don't have. I don't have. I've only seen robot Alex. Yeah, I'm just. I'm just you don't, heightless. You don't have a height. I'm heightless. Is wow. The word I think. Yeah. <laughs> cool. You're infinite in that mm-hmm. way. Yes. Alien number three from Marvel, written once again by Philip Kennedy Johnson, art by Julius Kelvin. This issue, we are following a bunch of androids who have been tasked with finding an alien egg. They have encountered some survivors on the planet they were looking the alien egg for. They discover their society and what's going on. Things go predictably wrong. But I love how they keep amping up the tension in here, issue after issue. Um, I also like with the the way that um, Philip Kennedy Johnson has been running um, these alien series is like sort of starting close to home with like a, a typical like uh, starting point for the alien story. Great art that feels very close to the movies. And then but in but great relationships, it's not at all like ripping it off in any way, but it feels like it's like, OK, let's start at the at the base. And then now each series, we're slowly stepping out. And this one feels like it is that next step out. The people aren't surprised by the um, by the aliens. They're not um, scared of them, per se. It's about the way the fact that they're on this planet where there's a queen is affecting everyone and moving forward at a really nice pace. PKJ just can't lose right now. Yeah, he, he's killing the game ST, for sure. STB for PKJ. Nice. Uh, yeah, I just feel that, like, I should be... Aliened out to this point. We read so much alien stuff at this point. I should be like, fuck you. But I'm still enjoying myself and they're doing such a great job of of doing new things with something that we know way too well. It's really impressive. And the focusing on the relationships and the different it's just it's very well done and it's very impressive and says a lot to the writer and artist on this book. It's uh, it continues to be phenomenal. Wildfire, number five from IDW Publishing, written by Scott Snyder, art by Hayden Sherman. I would swear that we talked about Wildfire 1 like two weeks ago at this point, but clearly we missed a a lot of issues in between or got our timing wrong on that because this is the final issue of the book about a bunch of cons who are firefighters who decide to pull a heist in the middle of a big forest fighter. Even with missing every single issue in between, this is still gorgeously drawn and beautifully written. I really like this issue a bit. I want to go back and read two, three, and four. How did you guys feel? Yeah, I recommend also reading the comic in order. It's super helpful for understanding (laughs) what's happening. Great wreck. I Uh, like to guess. I guess the middle. Every time I go see a movie, watch the first ten. Yes. First Uh, ten. Leave, go. go do some other stuff, come back for the last 10. Oh, I was going to say, usually what I like to do is watch the first 10, then the last 10, and then a random 10 in the middle, and then like kind of space it out from there. Jump around. We'll figure it out. We're smart. We well, can as Chris out Cross said, jump around. Moving on to our next book. <laughs> <laughs> well, ahead, I just Pete. think that the, yeah. the, the kind of like the way that they kind of tied in now the story with different stages of fire was very cool and unique. Mm-hmm. The art is fantastic. A lot of uh, really amazing panels in this. I think they did a great job of using the kind of like a comic book uh, form to tell the story in such a cool way. 
yeah, this is a this is a great comic, and definitely you should uh, check it out. Um, yeah, I agree, and it's so apparent just how much research that Scott Snyder must yeah. have done to um, to bring this story to life. And great art, the art really has the just the reds and oranges feels like the whole thing is um, about to burst into flame. Yep. And to just mention on the research thing, Scott Snyder actually killed a man and was sent to prison and had to serve on a convict firefighter unit just so he could research this book, which is wonderful. And this is while he was on Batman, right? I don't know how he finds the time. Uh, yeah, how do you find, the, find time? the time to murder while you're also writing a comic book, you know? Uh, believe me, I'm so backed up on murders. My to-do list is full of murders. <laughs> Go get it done, I say to myself. But I just can't do it. To Glad do that is. sort of thing, you'd have to be some sort of miracle man, and that ties in nicely oh, with our next book, boy. Miracle Man. <laughs> miracle Man number two from Marvel, written by Neil Gaiman, art by Mark Buckingham. We are still getting caught up to the original run of Miracle Man here with, I believe, the second issue of this run. We are very close to, I think this is the last official published issue of Miracle Man. Uh, the third wow. one, the next one is the one that was never really released or anything like that, if I remember correctly. But we are following a world where Miracle Man, the world's sort of Captain Marvel slash Superman, has taken over the world but made it better as far as we can tell. And into a utopia, he has brought back to life one of his kid Miracle Man counterparts who is dealing with a lot of memory stuff that is going on as well as a lot of other issues uh, what do you think about this issue? Uh, Mark Buckingham on art, the storybook nature of uh, of the tone that, that his art brings is so great for this. Um, it really brings, emphasizes the, the bright parts and the sort of stories about stories that Neil Gaiman is always doing, um, while at the same time, um, don't get too much oxygen in your body, Pete. Well, you, know, you, <laughs> might, you might pass out. Sorry. Um, well, uh, also, um, really, the tragic moments are so tragic, and it everything pops uh, in in this story. Yeah, I, you know, it's a it's a gorgeous book. It's absolutely gorgeous. This book, what? and it, it's it's so beautiful. It's effing See? gorgeous. Too much, too much oxygen. Now you're yeah. in uh, some sort of Italian mother. Uh, but yeah, I just think that it's very cool. You get a lot of bang for your buck here. This is like 50 pages, this book. Um, but, uh, yeah, absolutely uh, breathtaking and, and solid story. To get into spoilers for the issue, I do feel a little conflicted about some of the ideas here, which I remember, I mean, I didn't read it when Miracle Man came out, but I certainly read it probably at least a decade ago at this point online because the issue has been floating around online, even if they weren't officially released or weren't wide released. And the ideas that it's getting towards here are these whole ideas of like the homoerotic nature between, say, a Captain Marvel and a Captain Marvel Jr. or a Batman and a Robin and things like that, which yeah. felt very transgressive back in the day. I don't know if they hold up in the same way right now. As a historical document, yes, but reading this issue, it did feel like something we've seen before, and we have seen it before, because yep. in the intervening decades since this came out, we've seen it multiple times, and we've seen it explored in much deeper ways. Um, 
So it's not as shocking now as it was, but it's still kind of fascinating to read again as that historical record. Well, that's why I'm curious where it goes from here. Like um, what now that this stuff is on the table, two issues really like where if we're getting I mean, the next issue is still going to be in the Silver Age, right? That's the yeah. name of the, the story. So, yeah, the so next it's not issue, like we're coming to present day. The next issue is one that they completed or mostly completed back in the day. At the very least, I think most of the pencils were done. So they'll be finishing that off. The thing that I'm very curious about is what's beyond that? Where do you go at that yeah. point? You know, you're essentially like dusting off the classic Godfather print that Martin Scorsese approved. Uh, what happens next when Martin Scorsese tries to make a new Godfather film or something like in the modern era? You know, so that's the question here. Miracle Man was groundbreaking in its day. Will it be groundbreaking now? And if so, how? Well, and they're, they have to tell the story that they started. It's not like they can just start over and just reboot it. It really is like they're taking these the threads that they have there and they have to finish the the weave without uh, without abandoning anything. If, if they're not proud of some aspect of this or things have changed in the world, which they uh, undoubtedly have, like yes, how they are have. they going to how are they going to reconcile that? Very curious to check it out. Uh, I'm definitely more interested in this project every issue. Why don't we talk about The Department of Truth, number 22, from Image Comics, written by James the Fourth, art by Martin Simmons. JT4. In this issue, we're really getting to it as the war between oh, yeah. Black Hat and the Department of Truth heats up in a big way. We've had our main character has found out that his boyfriend knows about Black Hat, knows about the Department of Truth, has been recruited by Black Hat, which is kind of the evil organization trying to manipulate reality and the truth of conspiracy theories. Get some big moves here. Justin, I know you were very high on this issue, so talk about it a little bit. Yeah, yeah. I mean, first, we should hear from JT1, you know, talking about JT4, you know what I mean? Uh, thank you, Pete, for giving me the JT respect that and I And just to make uh, sure, we're also going to give time for JT2 and JT3 between that, but go ahead, JT1. Yeah, yeah I'm looking forward to them. Is it, are there's a JT scale like DEFCON, where it's like <laughs> the opposite of what you think, as far as like in order of uh, alertness? <laughs> yep. Sure. <laughs> you okay. lost me on that, but all right, man. Yeah, so you're um, the lowest level, and then we're going to go up to JT4, which is James Tynan. Um, That's right. I think that's that's what I'm saying. <laughs> I um, appreciate the fact that you threw out that joke, and you're like, wait, I need to check in my head to make sure I've got it right. It's very well, confusing. You, uh, I don't... I don't know if I do. Well, that's why the whole DEFCON thing is really confusing. Yeah, that's talks. why it's a bad scale. Yeah, it's a bad scale. I'm glad. I'm right. glad you brought it up, though. Yeah, I'm gonna check. It. Um, you talk about this book. I'm gonna. I'm gonna check DEFCON. Yeah, why don't you? Yeah, look up DEFCONs real quick. I thought you meant like writing scale, yeah. like Def- you know, because I thought you were selling yourself short as a writer. You know what I mean? DEFCON yeah. is the thing that no, that. where we murder people at a convention. That's right. We're talking about the purge, I think. Can't wait for DEFCON this year. What are you guys going as? Corpse? Going as corpse again? Um, Department of Truth. Uh, I've loved this book. We're, we're 22 issues in, and it's really coming to a head. And the, there, we've done a lot of like building up the story, setting the table, talking about every conspiracy theory in, that has sort of hit prominence in the last 100 years. But what I like about this issue is 
our character uh, storylines are coming to a head and are the conspiracy theories that they're talking about have modernized. It feels like uh, James Tynan is really saying like, hey, pay attention. Now we're getting to the stuff that is topical in our world. So that means the stakes are about as high as they can get for our characters as well. And uh, it's a big moves happening here. Love it. And just to throw yeah. out there, DEFCON 1 is actually the most severe, and DEFCON 5 is That's the least severe, yeah. so I had it wrong. Yeah. I'm sorry. You're yeah. JT1, oh, and you're, dare most, you're the worst. I'm not, <laughs> that exactly. makes sense. Yeah, That's, that makes what, sense. That's what I was saying. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Now I can see why you got confused in your head there. Um, yeah, so what we need to be talking though about, though, is the fact that this art is such a creative, kind of unique experience for this comic book. I feel like they did such a good job of creating this world and this kind of style for this book. And it fits so spectacularly. It's just uh, it's really impressive what they're doing with each issue. What's a little frustrating for me as someone who is kind of like uh, a little bit lost in the beginning about what was happening is they give such a, a great description of what it is in this issue. 22 in, I was like, yo, bro, I could have really used that and say issue one. That would have been nice if you kind of spelled it out for me a little bit uh, so I could have enjoyed the whole ride. Uh, but I also think that part of the kind of tripped out confusion in the beginning helps the intrigue of it. So, uh, you know, completely understandable, but uh, it would have been nice to have some clarity on the ground floor. That's what storytelling is. But it's like we always say, start at the 22nd issue and then read slowly backwards. Ah, right, right. Speaking of which, why don't we bring the threat level down to JT5 and talk about Daredevil number five <laughs> from Marvel, written by Chip Sidarsky, oh, art boy. by Rafael Della Torre. In this issue, Daredevil is slowly building an army to take the fight to the Punisher. The Daredevil and Electra are running the fist, I believe, and Dared, uh, Punisher is running the hand. Yep. Very similar. Which yep. are surprisingly unrelated. Yeah, the red <laughs> fist, right? Yep. Yeah, the there red you fist go. saga. Yes, there you go. Uh, so lots of stuff going on there, but very specific references in this book to what's going on with Punisher. So it's all starting to tie together. Pete, I know you're heavily into this world. So what do you think about this issue? Well, this is this is such a solid ish. You know, it's building towards this kind of Punisher showdown, but we're not there yet. You know what I mean? Um, there is just uh, there's some great kind of twists and turns in the relationship here and what's going on. And then just kind of, uh, you know, I feel like the art is just uh, such a good part of this uh, tight package that we're getting in this in this comic. And, uh, yeah, I'm really enjoying the ride. I've been really impressed with Chip and the team here on this comic. And uh, I feel like we're doing a great job building towards this Punisher showdown. I, for one, can't wait. You sound like the CEO of comics giving a pep talk to the to the assembled group, and I love it. Um, I do have one question before we get to more Daredevil, Daredevil talk. Uh, Pete, you tight is good. Are your favorite type of pants? Very tight pants. No, I love a loose-fitting pants. Uh, I need room. I need room. Yeah. But loose and I, bananas I want to throw out bad. there, if you don't yep. mind, uh, Pete calling out Chip. That makes me think that we should probably call them Chip and Della Torre's Rescue Rangers, right, Pete? Ooh, nice. Wow. <laughs> wow. Look what you did. Chip and Della Torre. 
I really like this comic, and specifically the art, I feel like, is enhancing the story so much. It's got such a gritty edge. It feels yeah. like it's reflecting Matt's mindset. You can mindset. feel the beard he's got. You know what I mean? Oh, my God. What yeah. stubble. We yeah. got stubble the trouble grizzle. here at Daredevil. Yeah. He's got some grizz, and that's yeah. coming from the Sizz. I, I do want to throw something <laughs> out to you guys. Uh, not seriously, but like semi-seriously, there was a comment, not to give a shout out to our TikTok, but TikTok.com slash Comic Book Club Live. There you go. There was a comment there about the last issue of Blade Vampire Nation, where they were throwing out Mm -hmm. that Blade being a sheriff for a vampire nation and working for Dracula seems similar to Daredevil running the Mm, hand, which uh, the fist... The fist, I keep mentioning. The fist. fist. Fist, which is similar to Punisher's the hand. Punisher running the hand. Uh, My thought on that is I'd love to see, like, a battle between them. Like, we're clearly getting Daredevil versus Punisher. Oh, we're going to get it. Yeah. Throw throw Blade in the mix, right? I think that would be great. Well, I mean, let's not add too much. I mean, sometimes you get there's too many storylines, and then somebody gets lost in the shuffle. We don't want that to happen. Dude, two t- uh, types of I, ninjas fighting a bunch of vampires—that's rad. I mean, it just <laughs> yeah, it is rad. But instead of you just you know rad. you know sprinkling crazy on top of crazier, mm-hmm. we got a great fight brewing. Okay, we got yeah. the Punisher team and the Daredevil team getting ready to have a huge showdown. That's great. That's enough. I don't I don't need vampires sprinkled on top of everything. You know what I mean? If it happens, mm. cool. If that's part of the plan here, but let's not just, you know, crazy slap shit around here. You know what I mean? This is already a building story that is uh, growing with anticipation. If you go to a very fancy restaurant for like an extra 40 bucks, they'll shave a little vampire on top of any other dish. <laughs> Thinly sliced vampire. It's very almost thin. Just, uh, Exactly. Thin. It's right where you want it. Now, Pete, yeah. Daredevil versus Punisher. Those are your two two buddies of yours. Yeah, so who, yeah. Who, exactly. who decided you on here? That's just how Foggy doesn't get hurt. You know Hold what I mean? on, we, uh, that's what I wanted to bring up. We've been talking about this for I want to say approximately fifty minutes at this point. Foggy gets superpowers in this issue. How are you feeling, Pete? You got to feel good about that. I mean, it's about time you give Foggy his due. I'm just I feel bad that you know the Daredevil is going to have to take a back seat to the Foggy. You know what I mean? It's going to be Foggy's run after this. The way that Foggy is drawn to this issue, so the idea is that because (laughs) Elektra and Daredevil have gotten married, now everybody on their team has superpowers, including Cole, who is the detective they brought in to keep them in check, but Mm -hmm. also Foggy. The way that he's jumping there, he like straight up looks like he's about to say, I love being a turtle. 100%. Well, we should. You know, we talked about the hand. You know, we should talk about the foot. You know what I mean? Give a shout out to Cheese Mutant Ninja Turtles. Mm -hmm. Uh, I thought you meant Foggy was the foot. Yeah. A lot lot of appendages going on there. If you'd like to support this podcast, Uh, Patreon. Real real, real quick, before you run off with that, I would just say it's very funny, Pete, that you're like, I love Foggy. He's like the foot of this relationship. (laughs) He's out here just being a foot. My That's a thing part. that I uh, walk on a bunch of uh, different times throughout the course of the day. Gets yeah. me good places. Yeah, if yeah like- about half the time. Half half on one foot, about half on the other. <laughs> yeah. Actually, it's like- not a half for me, but. <laughs> Classic hopping. 
If you'd like to support this podcast, patreon.com slash comic book club. Also, we do a live show every Tuesday night at 7 p.m. to Crowdcast and YouTube. Come back out. We would love to we chat sure with do. you about comic books. The new Crowdcast. Check it out. It's it's not janky at all. It's smooth sailing. Apple, Spotify, <laughs> Stitcher, or the app. If you're trying to subscribe, listen, and follow the show at Comic Book Live on Twitter. Also at Comic Book Live on Hive. ComicBookClubLive.com for this podcast and many Plug more. Hive. See what happens. It's a weird world. Until next time, we'll see you at the comic book shop. (laughs) That's it. No time for Pete. Sit on crap.